Hi guys, welcome to the Schofield Stories with me, Calum Schofield. Every show we're going to have some incredible guests, all with one thing in common. They've all got a story to tell. So sit back, get ready for some laughter, tears and a little bit of stamina activism here on the Schofield Stories. My guest tonight is someone who has overcome not just physical, but also mental health challenges, Megan Emily. Megan's story shows how suffering from epilepsy can lead to mental health issues such as anxiety, but also it shows how you can overcome these against all the odds. Thanks for having me. No problem. Thank you for for being here. So... Why don't you tell me and my audience about your earlier years when you first started noticing something wasn't the same, you could say? Yeah, sure. Um, I guess I was living in England when I was younger and I moved back to Canada when I was like around 10 years old and actually on one of the first few nights we came back, I started to notice that I was feeling like a little bit scared. And honestly, I wasn't really sure what was going on. So I attributed my fears to the wind because it was windy outside. Um, And from there, everything kind of just spiraled into um, a lot worse. So I guess I was like 10 years old around. Yeah, so at that age, you didn't really know what was happening, you could say. No, yeah, totally. I had no clue. And I had been, I was really outgoing and um, that kind of started to change my trajectory as a a little human. (laughs) Yeah, I can imagine. So why don't you tell my listeners what actually happened, what started to happen? Okay, well, after I started to feel fearful, which looking back is obviously anxiety, but as a little kid who has ever taught about that, I was not. Um, So, uh, yeah, so I started to feel scared all the time. um, And I started to isolate myself pretty much from everybody and my family and friends. And they thought, you know, I had other issues, but... I had just severe anxiety and then um, and then I started to have these little episodes where I'd zone out all the time and uh, I didn't know what was happening to me and before I'd zone out I'd get these things that I'd call flashy things which in retrospect were actually auras and it turned out that I was having seizures um, for two years but I was actually able to hide them for about that amount of time. <laughs> wow, that's incredible that you actually hid for those two years. How was it hiding the fact that you were having seizures? Um, it wasn't, it was, it was difficult on my, my mental health, but I wasn't, I didn't understand what I was hiding from everybody. I just thought that you know, when you're like a little kid and you think that monsters are going to get your feet if you don't jump in the bed, you know, that feeling when you're like a really little kid. Yeah, I know. 
Yeah, I kind of felt like that, but it was like a different extent. Like I just thought I was weird and that I was making up weird things in my head that, and I didn't realize that what was happening was actually a, a medical condition. So um, hiding wasn't too bad until one morning I was sitting at the kitchen table. I have two younger brothers and one was on either side of me and we were kind of squished and I had an aura or a flashy thing. And um, I remember zoning out and then coming to, and my mom was like, her face was a whole like nightmare of expression. And both of my brothers, bless them, they were like hysterically laughing at me because they didn't know what was going on. So was that the first time you say you had one of your episodes, you could say in front of people? Uh, yeah, definitely in front of my family. I think I was having smaller seizures in school, but so my seizures are called partial complex seizures. So they're, they're, they last anywhere from like 30 seconds to about a minute. And I have, uh, like, I can't, I'm not conscious during that time. I can, I can hear, but I can't distinguish the words that people are saying and um, I can't really see. And then I would make funny faces, I guess, like lose control over my mus muscles in my face. And I would do things called automatisms with my hands, which are essentially opening and closing my hands quickly. So I think teachers didn't, they might have seen, but they weren't able to, to um pinpoint what was going on with me and they a lot of times just thought I wasn't paying attention uh, <laughs> or I was trying to be disruptive but that wasn't really the case. So that must have been quite hard for you in school because not only are you not sure of what's happening but also are going on. Yeah totally um, and it was pretty hard to learn when you're zoning out. I zoned out. I had like probably between eight and ten seizures a day at that time so I really wasn't learning very much you know well, <laughs> I'd well, miss some things uh, yeah I can imagine that so you were having eight to ten seizures a day but was there a time or, or was it when you had the seizure in front of your family was that the time when you started to think that maybe there's something more there's something that you actually need to change would you say yeah, probably. When I saw my, the face of my mom, I realized, ooh, this is bad. <laughs> um, and then pretty much from there, I was, I'm grateful and really lucky. I'm from Calgary, Alberta in Canada, which has an ins very, very um, high-end neurological unit. Um, so they, my parents took me to neurologists right away. and. Um, I remember when I was a little girl, my brother's friend had a seizure and passed away. And so I thought that seizures killed people. And I remember when they told me I was having, I mean, they can kill people. It's not funny. But I remember when they told me I was having seizures, I asked the doctor, um, when will I die? And he, the faces in the room were quite serious. But I was just speaking matter-of-factly at this point. I was 12 and very ready to get down to business because I was pretty sick of it. <laughs> yeah, so 
how was that feeling when your only association with seizures before was that someone passed away? So then to be told that you were having seizures, how did that feel? I remember pretty vividly, I was looking out a window and I thought to myself, well, at least I have an answer because it's so frustrating not knowing what was wrong with me. Um, and then actually feeling relief and then feeling that I'd had a pretty good 12 years of life. I remember that thought like really vividly. And so I was ready to go. Like that's what my thought process was in that moment. And then that's why I asked the doctor so matter of factly, which was just my parents were horrified. I, I can't, but I, that's mad. I, I've done yeah. quite a lot of interviews and you know, honestly, just what you said there about being 12 years old and thinking that you've had a good 12 years and you're ready. Yeah. That, that is, I think, I, I, I've lost for words, I'm the host. This is. <laughs> it's so, a bit funny. Yeah, you don't really know what to say. So, what happened after this appointment? Obviously, you had the support from your family who took you there. So, what happened after you found out that you were having seizures? Um, afterwards, there was, um, it's kind of blurry, to be honest, we didn't, I don't remember having pretty any real conversations with my family about it. Um, and for the next two years, essentially, I was going in and out of the hospital doing um, tests like EEGs and MRIs and um, trying to fiddle around with medications to control my seizures, which was, um, yeah, it was a little bit traumatic, to be honest. But um, I feel lucky that I was able to find kind of a cocktail of pills um, that have helped me immensely um, to not, so now I, I don't have seizures anymore, but I still have epilepsy because I have a brain lesion. So yeah, it was a little bit of a whirlwind um, for the next few years. And would you say during those few years, you were still concerned about what could happen? Hmm. Yes. Yeah, I, I was definitely concerned about what could happen. Um, and at the same time, I think that being a kid and going into the hospital pretty regularly and seeing the other people there, the other children who were um, experiencing their own situations, especially um, with epilepsy, there were kids in the waiting room who were having like grand mal seizures which are now called tonic clonic seizures which is kind of the ones that used to you would see on tv where someone's falling down and shaking and i mean i saw people with those in the waiting room and and i always would think to myself man like this is so frustrating that people have to go through that stuff so i was upset for myself but i was uh I was dealing with it and I was lucky that my parents understood how to how to help me but I always thought to myself I wish I could help those kids because of your epilepsy you had to grow up quickly as um, it was obviously something serious at such a young age um yeah in some ways definitely <laughs> um 
just realizing that um, you can be kind of given pretty much any kind of condition at any age and it doesn't matter who you are or what you're doing you can you have like no matter what comes your way you just have to figure it out I think is what I learned pretty young <laughs> yeah and you mentioned there about wishing you would help the people you saw with epilepsy mm -hmm. so from that age you always had an ambition to help people am I right in saying that yeah, definitely, for sure. And obviously, as you got older, that turned from an ambition into something that you actually was working towards. Yeah, I I was involved in different um, groups because with epilepsy, especially, it's really frustrating for I for a lot of people who have it because it's one of the most common neurological conditions and one of the least understood because it's there's so many types of epilepsy and so many so many different areas to look at of the brain and so little that we really understand and so people became really frustrated at the lack of understanding that the medical um, field has about it and the lack of help that there really is in terms of like counseling or just just mentorship from other people so uh who can really understand what you're going through because it's kind of hard to explain to someone who's never been in it i mean you could understand it of course but it's easier when you just get it so yeah i always had um kind of that that fire under my ass to to kind of either help people or help people who didn't have epilepsy to understand what it is like and especially like I'd like to go to schools now universities um, of di like different classes who learn about the brain or who are techs who are going to go do EEGs and to explain to them that this is you know this is what it's like to have it for me and I, I bring some other people with me who also have it so we all have different experiences but so they can get a more personal perspective yeah that is incredible as I suppose there is a, a long way to go in the terms of raising awareness and just educating people about epilepsy totally so was there a point when you started thinking about helping people when you thought this is something you could actually do professionally? Yeah, I, I was originally doing teaching and um, it was okay. I really, it was, it was fulfilling, but I kept having people approach me and telling me about their lives and I was like, hmm, and I've always liked the idea of helping people, but I also grew up in a home that was pretty turbulent, and so um, I think that that contributed to my interest in getting a degree in um, in counseling, and which I did uh, when I was in my twenties after my undergrad. <laughs> yeah. And I kind of wanted to, honestly. Um, in one way in my undergraduate degree I was told by so many teachers I was stupid because 
of whatever. I was I was definitely distracted growing up in my studies after my epilepsy because I was just you know going through my teenage years, kind of being whatever I was, maybe a little bit rebellious and frustrated and in my own situation. And um, I was told so many times I was stupid. So going to university and doing well was such a nice um, redemption for me to kind of say fuck you to the people who told me I wouldn't go anywhere. I was about to say that must have been an amazing feeling after being called stupid and labelled for quite a big period of your life to actually go and achieve something that people didn't think you were capable of that must have felt pretty special yeah it was and I think like to an extent if it doesn't matter your circumstances um you know the the deeper you dig in there and into yourself the you find the resilience you know what I mean yeah absolutely and would you say through all this through your school and if you're getting your degrees were you still having mental health issues would you say were you still I had a lot of anxiety in my undergraduate degree and I also was I hate to admit it but the doctors always said to me Megan like don't mess about with alcohol or any type of drugs which I adhered to until probably I think I was in my second year of university and I decided to do MDMA for a night, which actually was the worst idea ever. <laughs> Sorry, everybody. Um, and I ended up having to switch my medications because it put me into like such, it, it um, interacted so badly with my meds that I had to change them. <laughs> so don't mess about with pills, everybody, and drugs. I learned that the hard way. Yeah, like uh, top consumer advice for my show there. Yeah, <laughs> sorry. No, no worries, it's your story. So yeah. How, um, sorry, I forgot. what I was going to ask you was, were you talking about your epilepsy at the time? Were you open about it or did you more keep it to yourself throughout? I was, I always told people about it, always, because, uh, I wouldn't be like, hi, Megan, and I have epilepsy or anything, but um, <laughs> I would definitely tell like people I lived with um, because if I ever had a seizure, I would want them to know, you know, I made them learn my meds in case something happened to me. Just um, I would, anyone who asked, I would always tell them. And if there was a reason to, yeah, I, I never hid it. And there's a really big stigma around having I guess an invisible disability people don't realize that um, it's it is a thing and just because you can't see it it doesn't mean it doesn't exist and so um, when there seemed to be uh, confusion around that in any type of circumstance that would kind of rear its head I would always use myself as an example to make a point. And, you know, people growing up can be really, like, brutal. I had so many friends who were, were just ignorant. Or I even had an orthodontist once who 
said, oh, I heard you're having seizures. And they waved their hand in front of my face in like a strobe light kind of a joke, which mm-hmm. I just used to be like, really? Like, that's so, that's such a strange reaction. And it wasn't about me, but I, I used to like talk to them about it more and be like, well, do you think that's really an appropriate reaction? <laughs> yeah, that is mental that someone, well, for a start, no one should be acting like that. Yes, to react like that to you that is that is awful it's actually horrible yeah i just wondered if he didn't i don't know i think maybe it makes people feel uncomfortable or whatever it is but just like educating them i think is so important instead of being angry because i've learned that that doesn't get me very far (laughs) yeah i can yeah as that's the most important thing is you need to educate the people who need educating really. Yeah, totally. And I think that no matter what anybody is going through, whether it's epilepsy, a different disorder, a different health um, situation, I think that's one of like the most important tools and ways to empower ourselves is to teach everyone else like this is what it is this doesn't make me weird or different you know like I met a kid he's like I think he's probably about 11 now he's amazing and he when he's eight I met him he has seizures and he came up to me and he's like I have a special brain I'm just special and I just thought that's awesome I was like yes you are you know what I mean instead of being like um Instead of being embarrassed, I thought that was just the coolest thing. It really is. That's that's a perfect attitude to have. But what yeah. would your advice be, or what techniques do you do when you get, say, a negative reaction or have done in the past? As for me, I've got a stuck at a negative reaction. I can sometimes find it quite hard to hold my tongue and mm-hmm. react positively. So what's your techniques so to say to not react in a negative way Mm. how the person is being towards you Mm -hmm. um i just take a deep breath and i really think to myself like okay this isn't about me this is maybe about a lack of understanding on their side or a lack of maybe empathy or sympathy and that's okay and if I try to explain to them what it is like calmly um it's a lot more it's a lot more I don't know it makes me feel like I won't walk away frustrated with myself for being for being rude or for being reactive does that make sense yeah absolutely so you're taking it upon yourself to educate people and yeah exactly yeah that's the best way to be i think to be responsible for yeah. your own actions and your own outcomes really yeah and and to like every everybody who doesn't get it however they may may communicate that whether it's politely or not like that's a learning moment for them and you know I mean, it's a great opportunity for us, whether it's with stuttering or seizures or whatever, whatever awareness it is to explain like, no, this is what it is. And that wasn't, you know, do you want to try that whole interaction again? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. 
uh, as I completely understand from my perspective. But now let's talk about mm -hmm. you setting up your counselling practice. Mm -hmm. Was this something you always wanted to do, set up your own practice, I mean now? Yes, definitely. From when I was a little girl, I used to like think that would be so cool. Um, and then I doubted myself at some points thinking, am I smart enough to do this study da di da But um, just getting out of my own way and doing it has been awesome. And um, I've had such nice clients who have just been so supportive of me and telling me that I'm good at what I do. And so I try to push all my doubts to the side and keep doing trainings and learn as much as I can about stuff that interests me like trauma and anxiety and epilepsy and all the things and just kind of do my best and and let my doubts be kind of quieted in the background you know what I mean yeah so would you say you're still suffering from mental health in some ways even to the up to today um, I think that I've done a lot better at um, at being able to understand what's going on when I'm anxious and and coping with it better after um, seeing my own counselor and going to school. Um, I've learned so many awesome techniques that personally have worked on me, um, like especially when with regard to like trying to isolate, if I notice that I'm starting a pattern of anything like that, I'll immediately curb it because I know this is not going to end well. Um, and so I can really relate to my clients and um, what I do is like CBT and, and different body um, work like sensory motor psychotherapy. And because I know it works, because I've done it, um, with my own counselors, I am so happy to share it again. You know what I mean? Like kind of like education with collaboration and changing it to suit my clients and their, their circumstance, if that makes sense. Yeah, it really yeah. does. As yeah. I could be wrong, but I would say because of your experience and because of how much you want to do this, that must definitely reflect on how you help your clients as to have this level of enthusiasm and personal experience that must be really positive for your clients yeah I think so and um, I always say to people you know like um, counseling I know there's still a bit of a stigma for some people around it or for some cultures and that's totally fine but um, what I really want people to know is that it doesn't have to be doom and gloom the whole time you can definitely have some giggles and, and make a bit of you know have some fun with yourself and you know what I mean it doesn't have to be so heavy all the time yeah absolutely mm -hmm. uh, yeah that is exactly the way it should be in my opinion <laughs> it's okay yeah so would you say that the person you are now is who you expected to be from when you were younger oh that's a good question um yeah i don't really know who i expected to be um, I definitely had goals for myself that I'm achieving um, one by one. And I just always think um, 
that's I want to be present and I want to be happy. And so, yes, to an extent, I think who that I'm who I wanted to be. Um, but I definitely still have a long way to go in terms of, um, you know, my whole life. So we'll see where that takes me. And as long as I feel happy more days than not, then I think that I'm doing something right. Does that make sense? Oh, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. It definitely does. So this is quite a philosophical question, you could say, but are you the same person you were back then? A lot of guests on, and a lot of them say whatever they've overcome, they feel like a new person. So I was wondering, would you say you're the same person, or would you say you're a new person, or somewhere in between? Uh, that's a really good question. I think that for myself, I'm... Hmm. I think the somewhere in between part because I can't, you know, I was like the most outgoing, fearless person before I started having any type of anxiety or seizures and epilepsy in that period completely changed. I went from being com one complete way to the total opposite side of the spectrum. And um, I think that I'm, I've found a, a middle ground and, and my goals are to be more like the kid that I was, the more fearless version of myself. And I slowly get there and I definitely still have some times where, for example, if I'm out on a hike at like the top of some mountain in a hut and we're sleeping there, sometimes I think to myself, holy moly, if something happens, where the hell am I? And so, so you know, I just say out loud that, like, oh, guys, like, this is what I'm thinking right now. And I just, like, share my little anxious thought with everyone. And then they're able to be like, oh, don't be silly. Or, oh, yeah, that's definitely fair enough. And then I'm able to go, like, pause and be like, okay, like, relax to the anxious person and, like, embrace the one who was, like, fearless. Do you know what I mean? So I definitely, it's a day-to-day -day thing. That's so I think I'm somewhere in the middle, in short. <laughs> As you mentioned then, you sometimes talk about your little anxieties to your friends and people oh, around yeah. you. How important would you say is talking? I know I've asked you this and you're a counsellor, so mm -hmm. I should assume what your answer is going mm -hmm. to be. But how important is talking, would you say? I think that if you're comfortable sharing um, what's going on, it's way easier to not get caught in a negative uh, internal dialogue or thought loop so I think it depends on the person but for me letting other people know where I'm at so they can either help distract me or just be like okay like let's talk about that logically and then move forward it just it's really helpful for for me personally and um, I always say to people I think you know support systems are so key for everything and you can choose what you want to share but um own own who you are you yes. know yeah that's really good so yeah. as we come to the end mm -hmm. now I asked the same two questions to all my guests so the first one is what are your hopes or aspirations for the future or near future oh goody um <laughs> My hopes and aspirations is, uh, well, right now, 
as we're doing this podcast, our world is kind of on this like weird pause, I'd say, from coronavirus. Um, but when that ends, I would love to go back to having a full private practice. And um, maybe one day I'll have kids and stuff. You can still have, well, I can, I was told I could still be able to have kids in some way with this epilepsy stuff. So maybe have a family, but we shall see. Um, yeah, I think that's my my hopes for the like near future and just to help as many people as I can and educate people and be a resource for people who who aren't sure or just, you know, wanna have a venting session. You know what I mean? Yeah. But that that sounds really as as even though that was about your personal hopes for the future. It seemed to revolve around helping other people raise awareness and really trying to work positively in that sense. So that is really incredible. Thanks. Yeah, I think um, like the stigma situation is such a shame, and I, I, I hope for people to be able to feel proud of who they are. You know, and I think peop- the world would just be better in general if if people were happy with themselves. Hundred percent, it would be. Yeah. So my last yeah. question now: Have you got any advice or wisdom to share with my listeners? And this could be to do with epilepsy, general life advice, personal, professional, any advice at all. Says to you. Yeah. Um. I think that my advice would be to just be who you are and own the good, the bad and the ugly and um, to allow yourself or your doubts to get out of your way and to try. That's all. I think that is, um, if I could say that to anybody, that's what I would say. Don't don't not try because of fear, you know, let it be a motivator instead of um, an inhibitor. That is some cracking advice again. So thank you so much for appearing on the show. On a personal note, thank you for sharing your story. You are an incredibly strong and incredible person. I am honestly honored to have interviewed you and that you've shared your story with me and my listeners. It's been, you know, you've had me lost for words at some points and that doesn't happen often so thank you a lot oh thanks Cal I appreciate it and I'm really grateful and I think maybe um you can understand to to you know in your own way the how it is to be um a little bit different and so I'm really grateful that you that you had me here and I hope yeah I I'm glad and I'm grateful thank you and yeah I do understand. I yeah. really do. And that's why I've honestly loved hearing your story. It's been incredible. And I know my listeners are going to love it. So thank you so much, Megan. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Schofield Stories podcast. Without you, my incredible listeners, I wouldn't be able to do what I do. So I hope you know how much your support really does mean to me. You can find us on Spotify. Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Anchor FM and many more platforms. 
Thank you to everyone at Zoom and Anchor, as without those two apps, I wouldn't be able to record nor publish any episodes. So thank you, everyone there. A massive shout out to Stammer for their ongoing work, going above and beyond to help the people who Stammer. Please check them out. And finally, if you want more, my website is proudrecoveringstammer.wordpress.com. Find me on Facebook under Callum Schofield, Stammering Activist. And the official Instagram for the podcast is at the underscore Schofield underscore stories. Thank you so much for listening. Without you, I couldn't do this show. It honestly means everything to me that you're here listening. So thank you again. I hope to speak to you again for the next episode of the Schofield Stories. Bye for now.